Welcome to Quarantine Creatives. I'm Heath Rosella. So it's another themed week here at Quarantine Creatives. This week, it's all about food. Food. It feeds us. Makes us happy, right? I guess I've done a couple themed weeks now. I had uh, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel week back in July and uh, had the Ladies of Late Night earlier in August. And now here we are, end of uh, August, early September, talking food. On Thursday, I've got uh, the couple that founded Ample Hills, the ice cream brand out of Brooklyn. And uh, they have an amazing story. You're probably wondering why I'm talking to ice cream people on a show that's for entertainment and media people. But uh, you'll have to stay tuned to Thursday's show to find out because let's just say not only do they have a uh, entertainment industry background, but you're going to hear some big names in that show. Bob Iger, Steven Spielberg, Oprah Winfrey. It's an ice cream brand that has touched a lot of the entertainment industry. So that'll be a really fascinating conversation. And today, I'm very excited for this one. Caitlin Kelleher is here. She's the executive producer of America's Test Kitchen and Cook's Country. And you may have heard my interview with Julia Collin Davison, one of the hosts of America's Test Kitchen, right when this show launched. I mean, she was like my maybe fifth guest, I think. Uh, And at the time we talked back in May, it was unclear sort of how all this quarantine stuff would affect production of their shows. We talked a lot about moving production over to social media and just figuring out how to be her own host and uh, producer and all that on Instagram. And so that was a fascinating conversation. But uh, as the months have progressed, and it's still questionable, I guess, how safe it is to restart full in-person production, America's Test Kitchen made the bold decision to shoot from home this year. A lot like Julia had been doing in her uh, Instagram videos although they are bringing in a crew to, to help with some of it. Although you'll hear in, in Caitlin's interview, it's a pretty stripped down crew. And so I was just fascinated to hear sort of how they came to that decision, some of the uh, the challenges and problem solving that went along with, with figuring out the logistics of it, and also just the aesthetics and sort of creative piece of it. How do you take a show that's been on public television for 20 years, 21 years, and completely blow up the format and make it very different? And this was a fun conversation, too, because I've known Caitlin maybe about a year, I guess. We met uh, for the first time when I went to tour America's Test Kitchen last May, May of 2019. And I talked about this in Julia's intro, but uh, I had known Bridget, one of the co-hosts of America's Test Kitchen. She had done some work with me on This Old House many years ago, and we had stayed in touch. And she had a standing invitation for me to come to the Test Kitchen and sort of check it out. And it was probably five years before I finally took her up on that offer, maybe four years, but it was a long time. And uh, she was taping. So she said, why don't you get in touch with Caitlin? She's our EP and she'll arrange the whole thing. I don't know her that well. Like I literally spent, I don't know, two or three hours with her at America's Test Kitchen one morning a year and a half ago. But she was just so kind and gracious and introduced me to every single person we encountered and like... I was there on a day when she was working, and I could imagine it would have been easy to just say, oh, yeah, you can hang out over there and you know, let us know if you need anything. But she really treated me like a VIP and just made sure that I knew everybody in the building, that they all understood why I was there, and that I understood a little about their job. She walked me through sort of all the test kitchen facilities and just really gave me the lay of the land, and it was awesome. And she and I have stayed in touch since that time, and she helped me uh, with a couple of segments that uh, had some food elements on Ask This Old House when I was producing there. And it's also interesting, I guess, and and part of the reason maybe that we clicked early on was just, it was almost like Caitlin was this, you know, bizarre world version of me, (laughs) like through through a funhouse mirror or something, like... You know, at the time I was uh, I was running Ask This Old House, the PBS show, which of course is instructional and it's all about home improvement. And Caitlin was running America's Test Kitchen and Cook's Country, which are instructional shows, but about cooking. And we're all based in Boston, so we know a lot of the same people. You'll hear, you know, she references a lot of people that I know in this interview. And uh, I think just in running instructional public television shows... There was just a lot of kind of shared insight, shared experience. And I think you'll hear that in this conversation, too. 
I should mention Caitlin not only runs the TV shows, but she's also in charge of America's Test Kitchens podcasting. And uh, they have an amazing show called Proof, which I hope you've heard at this point. They just launched their fifth season. They have a brand new show out now called The Walk-In that is really good. And we talk a lot about that in this interview. And they have a podcast for kids as well. So lots of stuff happening on the TV side and on the podcasting side over at America's Test Kitchen. So anyways, it's a fun conversation. I enjoy getting to talk shop with her. And uh, I hope you guys enjoy hearing it as well. Uh, There's a lot of good insights in there if you're trying to figure out how you keep a TV show going and more importantly, how you evolve. How do you evolve a a longstanding brand and uh, how do you change the parts of that brand? All that conversation was really interesting to me. So here it is, my interview with Caitlin Kelleher. I want to start by just sort of asking you about the last couple of months, I guess. How has uh, how has 2020 been treating you? Oh, God, how's it been treating you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess that's sort of the standard response. But honestly, 2020 has been, I don't know, it's like, it's hard to answer this question without feeling like you're straying into like trite uh, <laughs> territory. But yeah. there's been some good stuff, I think, honestly. I don't know, just to launch right into like the the TV show. Yeah, definitely. Um, So, you know, I mean, we were in this holding pattern for months, like everyone, like just kind of waiting to see, you know, what the virus was going to do and how long we were going to be in lockdown. And, you know, initially it was like two weeks, then a month, and then it kept getting extended. And we were sort of just kind of waiting and, and kept pushing back our shoot dates. And then at some point it became clear, like, we're not shooting in the studio this year, like in the normal way. Like there's no version of things where we have like a crew of 25 people, you know, making a TV show in a indoor confined space. So then we started thinking about like, okay, so what are we doing? And that was when things started to get both hard and interesting. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. And so like, I mean, I guess at the end of the day, like it's a good creative exercise. Like, you know, the show that I'm making is like started airing on TV when I was in middle school. Like it's, this is the 21st season of the show. It's a, it's an old legacy show. It's been on the air forever. You know, it's got this like rabid fan base of people that have been watching it forever and love it and know exactly what it is. You know, so in one way it's like a well-oiled machine. And in another way, there's a lot that you take for granted, you know? Right. And there's things that we don't do because we're like, well, that's not us. We don't do that. So when you throw all of that out the window and you have to start from scratch, um, you know, we were asking ourselves things like, all right, well, what is the show? Like when you take away the test kitchen, when you take mm. away the crew when you take away the lighting, like what do people actually come to us for? Like, why do people love the show so much? Why has it been on the air for 20 years? And how do we still deliver that in this like more limited remote, you know, guerrilla filmmaking style? Right. And there were so many interesting conversations. Like I think we've learned a ton and tried some kind of format things that we're going to want to carry forward. Like that I think will inform how we make the show in the future. Yeah. I love that. Of just like, instead of just trying to like, okay, here's how we've always made the show. How do we just shift that model (laughs) to, to at home? It's like, who are we? What do we want to be? And, and sort of using this time to, I guess to, to just reassess that. Right. And to come up with a, a new model. That's awesome. Totally. I mean, I guess there's a way like, I don't know. Now it's like, it's 2 PM on a Friday and we're going to like wax poetic here, but like, (laughs) it feels like a, like a really microcosmic example or, or, you know, just like a really specific PBS cooking show example of like what's happening on this larger scale. Like when there's a crisis of this magnitude, there's like panic. And then also uh, the next layer down is like some soul searching, like, well, what actually matters Right. You know, and I feel like we've probably all been doing that to some extent, like when your routine and your comfort and your normal life gets stripped away, it gets really clear, really fast, like what's important. And that's what happened with the show. Like we got really real about what the show offers people and why people love it and what value we bring to people's lives. And it was good to like reaffirm what those things are and then say, all right, we can still do them. Yeah. You know, shooting with one camera guy out of people's home kitchens, (laughs) you know, we can still do it. What were some of the answers that you came up with in terms of just sort of what the essence of the show is? Well, at the essence, like at the heart of the show, I think, and at the heart of our brands and everything we do, 
is like we're teachers, you know, we teach. So people come to us to learn how to become better cooks, you know, to learn new skills, to understand why things work. And I think that's what sets us apart. You know, I mean, we spend like, oh my God, I don't, I don't even know if I could quantify the number of hours we spend doing these science explainer graphics, you know, and we'll get in these like heated, like, no, the gluten particles have to look like this, you know? And it's like, you know, we've put all this energy and effort into like getting the details of a gluten molecule animation, right? Because we want people to understand how that you know, process or technique work so that when they're making bread, they're not just blindly following an instruction. They get why it's going to work and right. what they need to do. You know, so yeah, we're teachers. I mean, I guess that's like a long-winded way of saying we teach people how to cook. Yeah. <laughs> we teach people and and we give people insight into why things work. And we have sort of like ingenious, like little hacks and tips and tricks and like kind of pro tips that make cooking more pleasurable, more fun, more interesting. And then the other thing, too, is I think um, we're not, I don't know, I have to tread lightly here because I don't want to say, I don't want to offend my cast, but we're not celebrities. Right. And I mean that in like the most loving yeah, they're, they're cooks. They're not, way. Yeah. They're cooks. Right. Yeah. Like everyone on our show is a real person. They have another job in the building. They're yeah. not just on the TV show. They don't fly in from Hollywood to come be on the show. You know, they go back to editing cookbooks or developing recipes or running a magazine or whatever else it is they do at our company after they're on screen, you know, and they're all cooks and editors and writers and recipe developers and they're real people. And so, you know, I think that's another thing that kind of sets us apart is that we're really regular, normal people. So people feel like they're hanging out with their friends, you know, when, when our show is on, it's not, competitive it's not flashy it's not based on a celebrity it's like real people giving you real skills and knowledge yeah no totally i i wonder too just you know another piece when i think of america's test kitchen is the camaraderie aspect and you know having two different cooks working together on camera like i think that's there's very few times where there's not multiple people on screen right like it's it's very rare to have like a solo scene like how have you been able to get the camaraderie piece into the show now with everybody in their own separate kitchens Oh, Heath, you like went right to the heart. Like this is, so this was the, one of the biggest creative challenges, honestly, of like translating our format to an at-home style. Right. And we went around and around and around on this. And, you know, I mean, we considered things like, do we have a split screen, you know, where the host is in a different location or, you know, can we have them in a different part of the studio and then just cut the footage together? So it looks like they're still side by side. I mean, we had a really hard time letting go of that, you know, host test cook pairing, which I think really sets our show apart because right. we are an ensemble cast and the dynamic between the, you know, the people on screen is a big part of what the whole format offers. So it was, it was hard to, <laughs> to let go of, but I think what we decided is, listen, we're not in the studio. They're not side by side. Like we need to get off the ride and stop trying to force it to be the same thing that it is because it's not, it's not going to be that at home. It's going to offer all of the core DNA that I was describing of like what the show offers people. Like we can still give people that and not try to force the, the host test cook conceit if it doesn't make sense in the setting. So instead we've kind of loosened things up in terms of how the presenter style works. So like it's much more casual and conversational. And I would say that like the way that we're still getting that sense of camaraderie is that the viewer is now standing in for the second person on screen. So Mm -hmm. I think with a single presenter, like Julia is, she's addressing camera and she's talking right to you. Like you're in her kitchen with her and she's telling you how she dices the (laughs) the onion. Right. And um, the camaraderie is between you and the on-screen presenter as a viewer. Right. Instead of the, you know, you feeling like you're kind of spying on two people hanging out. Yeah, that that kind of shift from from third person to second person, (laughs) talking right to you instead of, as you say, just sort of, yeah, uh, the the fourth wall thing, right? That's interesting. Totally. And every every cast member, like, kind of started to, like, I don't know, get into their single presenter style a little differently, you know, like uh, Bridget does this funny thing where she addresses America. She's like, oh, America, I wish you could smell these cookies right now. You know, like, <laughs> and is that just, it's something she just started doing? Like she wasn't she even aware it of it sometimes. probably? Okay. I don't know. It, it's sort of a Bridgetism. I like, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's funny. I love when she does 
she just you know <laughs> like a 1950s like news announcer or something yeah. she's like suddenly addressing <laughs> america directly you know but then becky we just filmed with becky earlier this week and it really does just feel like you're hanging out with becky in her kitchen right you know and she's talking to you and telling you um here's how i do things or you know don't worry about this or you know oh isn't this a cool little measuring cup i have my mom gave this to me and it just feels like uh, a little more casual, a little more relaxed, a little more personal. And you're getting to see how these folks that you're used to seeing all buttoned up in the test kitchen actually cook at home. Right. That's so cool. I, I want to ask too, like, I, and I don't know how much of this your audience knows. I, I'm sure some of them do. I think there've been behind the scenes things and stuff before, but like I, I've been to the test kitchen on a shoot day and sort of seen how you guys work. And I, I know a lot of it just to sort of keep the production cycle moving is, you know, there's there's test cooks in, in the back that have uh, each each recipe at various stages of completion so that, you know, if you have to bake something for a half hour, you've had one that was already baking for a half hour that you can pull out so that, you know, the whole crew isn't waiting around and, you know, a, a shoot day can be a manageable length of time. You're not waiting for, for every process to happen. How has that been addressed if, you know, if it's just a home cook, like in their home kitchen? Is it just, yeah. are you just rolling a lot longer and, and sticking with every recipe or? Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, so <laughs> I've always been appreciative of our back kitchen and yeah. um, Aaron McMurr and Keith Dresser, who are both on camera talent, also run the back kitchen. Yep. And it's just like amazing what they're capable of. Like you said, you know, we call them twins. Yep. So, you know, we'll break, we'll throw something in the oven, break filming, and then they have a twin of that same item, you know, X number of minutes along or whatever, ready to pull out of the oven. So we just keep rolling. And uh, it's amazing. <laughs> they have these like um, timelines, you know, like minute by minute timelines yeah. of when things go in, how they come out, how many of them, you know, and they'll have multiple versions in case the browning isn't right on this one and that one. It'll allows us to shoot six recipes a day in right. a normal shoot. And the short answer is we're just way less efficient. So we're shooting <laughs> we're shooting like one to two recipes a day now yep. because we're actually cooking through. So, you know, with very few exceptions, if something needs to cook for 30 minutes, we'll just stop down and wait 30 minutes gotcha. <laughs> and then come back 30 minutes later when it's actually cooked. Gotcha. So, um, yeah. so it's turned a three week shoot into a 10 week shoot. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's uh... <laughs> That's a huge difference. It's a pretty big difference, yeah. Uh, yeah thinking about difference. yeah, thinking about sort of how shoot days run too. Like I know you know you guys have a very active control room, and as you said, it's like you know twenty twenty five people on set between people on set and, and in the control room. How have you guys been able to on the production side sort of stay dialed into what's happening in each individual talent's home? Are you all like remotely? viewing the camera feeds and stuff? Yeah. So we basically have our control room on Zoom. Wow. And we've got a quad split that feeds through Zoom. And I have to shout out our equipment vendor, Talamis yeah, in Boston. Sure. And the great Mike Duca, who is a technical wizard genius, yeah. who, you know, designed a package for us with our production manager, Diane Knox. You know, we kind of described what we were doing, what we needed to do. And they've worked with us to design a camera and lighting package that includes this you know, I don't even know, whatever, it, this is like the limits of my technical ability, like, or understanding, but there's basically like a switch box that feeds into all four, or there's three cameras, and it feeds into them. And then we're able to see a quad split of the cameras feeding through Zoom. And yeah. our director, Herb, is on the Zoom, I'm on the Zoom, our associate producer, and then other folks can pop in and out. And then Herb is talking to his camera guys on his cell phone. Wow. So they're they're on like their, you know, earbuds on their yeah, phone. Right. But then he's addressing talent through Zoom, you know, will unmute himself to talk to talent. So, I mean, really, the only snafu we've had is that sometimes one of us forgets to mute ourselves and yep. then we'll have to be like, oh, sorry, can you say that again? Herb was talking to the camera guy and we heard it through the Zoom. Wow. But you're all <laughs> but, in um, you're all in your own houses watching this, this yes. Zoom feed and that. Wow. That's complex. Yeah, it's very complex. Yeah. I mean, it kind of makes me a little scared, to be honest, because like, you know, it's Zoom quality. So like, I have no idea if anything's in focus. Right. <laughs> it's like a, kind of a Hail Mary. Like you're just like, all right, hopefully we're mostly in focus, you know. Yeah. And it's it's one camera op running all three cameras. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So we're working with Jay Maurer. Oh, yeah, um, sure. Yeah. Who Love you know. Jay. Right. Yeah. Jay Worked is. For years. Uh, he's just like kind of the perfect guy for this job you know because he's you know used to shooting in the field like you guys yeah. did for this old house all the time like where he you know shows up in a place and it's like all right make it happen you yeah. know 
figure out how to light it and shoot it. And um, he can do all of that. And I think it's crazy exhausting <laughs> to be a one person crew. Yeah. He's also miking talent, running sound, adjusting lighting. Our director of photography, Dan Anderson, has consulted on lighting for each individual cast member's um, kitchen. So we did like Zoom scouts where we like had them tour us around their kitchen and figured out what kind of lighting we would need. Yeah. And then Dan on zoom helps, you know, talks Jay through like, try this, do that, you know, adjust that. Wow. Um, but Jay is the only one in there. And then we've also had Eric Fisher, who's another local camera op. Yeah. Um, in certain instances, he'll be on in load in and run second camera. So there'll be two camera guys on some shoots. Yeah. Cause even I know I've, I've worked with Jay on like having a two camera shoot sometimes where like, he'll set up one as a lock off and he'll be running the second one. And I'll realize like, as I'm directing midway through a shot that, you know, the talent shifted slightly and, you know, I mean, it was literally like a lock two shot. I remember this happening on yep. and just realizing like, Oh, it's, it's not good framing. And like, I would be the one cause Jay had the other one on his shoulder. Like I would go over on the sticks and just try to pan it, to make it look as good yes. as it could. But like, you know, I can't imagine having a track three <laughs> at a time and it's just him doing all of it. That's, that's so wild. And it's the same deal that you're describing where it's like two are locked off. One, he's managing, like he's, you know, he's on. Yeah. And then, you know, we'll have to like stop and be like, oops, can you reframe that? And he'll have to run over to that camera, reframe it. Okay, now we're back to this. Okay, wait, hold it. Can you move the camera over here? You know, and the other thing too is we're shooting in people's actual homes. Like these aren't studios that are designed for filming. So everything is in the least ideal position, you know, like stoves are up against walls and there's like no way to get the camera in at a good angle. And and you're going back and forth from like the kitchen island where you're chopping to the stove that's on another wall because it's a kitchen, not a set, you know, (laughs) and Jay's having to like move the camera physically. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, so it's it's very inefficient. Yeah, (laughs) but it's awesome that you guys have figured out how to make it work. I wonder just like aesthetically too, I talked to Julie a little bit about this of just sort of like, you know, home kitchens are very different than show kitchens. (laughs) You know what I mean? Just like, not not just even layout, but even just aesthetically, you know, my kitchen is is perfectly functional, but like, it's really ugly to look at. (laughs) And like- (laughs) Mine too. Yeah, like nobody on your show- built their kitchen with the with the expectation or moved into their house even you know I, I don't even know that all of them have renovated them but like with the expectation that it would ever be seen in public like how do you handle that that sort of aesthetic piece of it is it just that's just part of it now yeah we're just we're just kind of we're just kind of going with it i mean like really it's very minimal like just kind of light set dressing that the cast is doing themselves so it's yeah. just like well just you know um our director herb says like clean it as though your grandmother were coming, not your mother, you know, (laughs) (laughs) you know, just like picking up the space and maybe throwing a few cookbooks on the counter so that it kind of looks nice. Maybe a few flowers from the garden, but for the most part, it's just like the aesthetics are what they are and they're real people's kitchens and some are really gorgeous and some are just fine. You know, they're just like rental apartment kitchens. But I think what I'm finding as we're looking through the footage, as we're like moving through the shoot is like, it's really charming and like, it's really authentic. And I think that's another thing that's kind of a core tenet of what we do is like, we're, we're very authentic. Like, like I said, we're not celebrities where it's not flashy. It's not about that. So I think the variation in, in aesthetics kind of um, helps with that. And I, I'm hoping that people will respond really positively to it. I mean, there's also this like, um, I don't know if you feel this way, but I've found, you know, as TV has kind of transitioned during this crazy time and um, like all the late night hosts doing sure. the shows from their basements, yeah. there's this kind of like voyeur element to totally. it. Like a like, I like to see where people live and what their houses look like. It's yep. kind of cool. You know, yeah. I'm like, ooh, what's on their bookshelf or, you know. So I'm hoping there's an element of that, too, that you're like, oh, cool. This is like what Jack's kitchen looks like. Or, oh, my God, Julia's kitchen looks like not that different than mine or, right. you know. Well, it's it's interesting, too, just sort of, you know, I, I feel like the core audience for Test Kitchen is home cooks. And, and setting it in a home kitchen setting is just like it kind of makes sense in a weird way. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm really hoping. Yeah. Yeah. And I think so far that's, that's how it's turning out. Yeah. Is like, fortunately for us, like we don't do a travel show, which wouldn't be possible right Right. now. We make a cooking show and that's like more than ever, like super relevant. That's what people are doing. They're, they're at home with their families cooking and we can still show what we do without asking people to, you know, leave their homes and 
assume risk by right. being in a studio, you know? Yeah. Let me ask you about that too. Just thinking about like you'd mentioned earlier, sort of, you know, the timeline continually shifting later and like usually America's Test Kitchen shoots in May. And, you know, I, I assume you guys were in some level of pre-production prior to that. Like, had have you sort of had to adapt the recipes you present or the techniques you present, just sort of knowing that, that people are cooking at home and that, you know, there's a different... I don't know. People are, are cooking more out of necessity now, maybe, than, than just for recreation. Yeah, totally. Well, I mean, also just from like a, a logistical and like oh, right. uh, technical uh, <laughs> point of view, like knowing that we weren't going to have the back kitchen right. support and that folks were going to have to cook through, like be their own back kitchen in addition to being on camera and deal with all the dishes and do their own hair and makeup, et cetera, et cetera we had to go back through our lineup and choose recipes that made sense, right. Yeah. To do in this context. So we're like, all right, maybe this is not the year to do the Yule log recipe, right. you know, yeah. <laughs> let's save that. Yeah. Um, and instead let's do the ultra creamy hummus or we'll do margaritas. And we kind of looked at it as an opportunity to do some recipes that might feel too small to make sense in the test kitchen, yep. but actually work kind of nicely in an at home setting. So we're doing like cold brew coffee Oh, like cool. Cold brew coffee would never get on TV because yeah. it's just a little too small right. and straightforward. But we put it in a show with waffles and fried eggs and it's like perfect. Yeah. You know, breakfast like show. There's three. Yeah, it's a breakfast show. There's three recipes. They're all pretty small. We wouldn't do it in the studio, but it works in this context. So, you know, that was sort of this, the story of this whole process was just like trying to turn it into a strength and look for ways to use it as an opportunity creatively rather than make it the like COVID apology season. Right. You know, like we don't want it. We want it to just feel different, special, interesting, but not like, Oh, we're so sorry that we're not in the studio. You know? Yeah. I wonder too, was there ever a point like in those early days, just trying to figure out like what the paths forward were, was there ever a thought of just sort of going down like a greatest hits path or something like that feels like the, the, the lowest hanging fruit of like maybe shoot some new wraparounds or something, but you know, you've got 20 years of recipes, <laughs> just put some of those back in into a show. Was that ever a consideration? Well, not really. And the reason why is because it's actually pretty simple. It's just because even though we've been on the air for 20 years, our new hosts have only been at the helm since mm. season 17. Right. So, you know, there's kind of like an awkward like uh, issue there, you know, like how to how to deal with that. Yep. So, um, yeah, archives not that we don't like love them and use them. Like we, we did a clip show for, um, we did a 20th anniversary special last year and used some archive stuff, but yeah, it wouldn't be like a simple, straightforward thing. Cause we want to show episodes where Bridget and Julia are hosting. Right. And that's, there's fewer seasons to choose from. And some of them are still within rights, yeah. you know? Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, no, I think we always knew we wanted to shoot something new. We wanted yep. to, we wanted to produce new content and deliver 26 episodes and we knew that this was going to be a year where it was going to be especially important for our public TV partners that we produce new content because so many other producers just aren't able to because of the nature of what their shows are, right. you know? So I think we felt really strongly that we wanted to do it, yeah. you know? Do you have a sense yet? Yeah, this is America's Test Kitchen we've been talking about. What about Cook's Country? What's that going to look like? Or do you know? Yeah. We're, so it's interesting. <laughs> I'm talking to you on a Friday. I have a, a meeting with our core creative working group. On Monday, which includes Bridget and Julia, um, my producer Caroline, uh, my line producer Diane, and Jack Bishop, who's the chief creative officer and also a cast member, and uh, we're we're kind of kicking it off. I just sent a memo out to that group with some <laughs> stuff to think through over the weekend, and we're gonna we're gonna start getting the the gears moving. But preliminarily, we are um, looking to shoot it a bit later as well. So yeah. we're we're probably gonna shoot in January. And we sort of have a plan A and a plan B. And again, just like this time around, it really depends on, you know, what happens with the virus yeah. um, and what the world looks like in a couple months. But preliminarily, we we might be able to shoot in the studio, but just in a very stripped down way. So yeah. still like a single presenter style, but on our set. So not moving around to different folks' houses. But there's a lot to figure out creatively about how that works, you know, if we're on our set, but without, you know, the typical host test cook format. And then, you know, the backup option, if things, you know, if things get worse in the fall and everything shuts back down, is to do it like we did for ATK and just yeah. shoot in people's homes and just kind of reproduce this process all over again. And then we're really going to, the creative challenge will be how to distinguish the two shows, right? Because right. <laughs> without the, the set, you know, it 
they, if you're doing instructional cooking in different people's homes, it starts to be a little bit more challenging to distinguish the two. But I think that's, that's just another thing. That'll be another creative challenge we have to really think through. And I think there's a lot we can do with graphics and there's some sort of new packages that I'm interested in creating with on the road content, um, you know, and photography and iPhone videos. And I think that could set it apart. You know, we also want to do more history and use archival. So that could set it apart. So, you know, there's a lot to figure out. Yeah. I feel like it's like everything right now, you know, even just like the school reopening plans of like, you sort of have to have two or three different things going, like you're saying. And it's like, okay, we sort of have to keep all of these things going and, you know, all of these ideas developed and then figure out like that week, like, okay, we're going to pull the trigger on plan A or plan B. Like it's, yeah, it's, it's such a challenge. It's yes. Like that's exactly right. Like I, Honestly, I feel so grateful that my my thing to figure out is just like making four different production plans versus like, oh, my God, I would hate to be a school superintendent right, right. now. Can you imagine? Yeah. Like what a nightmare to figure that out safely. Yeah. You have to build a resiliency for like redoing things 50 times. But I mean, if you don't already have that, then why are you a producer? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Totally. That's yeah. a big part of the job is just, yeah, figure out what's going to go do wrong it, today. Do it do it 50 times. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Do the same thing over and over again. Rebuild the schedule. Totally. So I, I want to ask you just sort of about your history with ATK, just sort mm-hmm. of, you know, how, what led you into into this organization? And, you know, as you say, just sort of a, a legacy brand like this, that's, as you said, been around since you were in middle school. Like what first drew you there and, and what brought you in? So I actually started at ATK as an intern. Oh, wow. Yeah. In 2011. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. So I started, I started as the TV and radio intern in 2011 and I had just moved to Boston and I was interested in, they, you know, had posted the opening. They wanted an intern to help launch a new radio show uh-huh. that they were producing. And I was really interested in radio. You know, it was also in the TV production department and I had no experience or background working in TV and really no aspirations to, but I thought, Hey, that could be interesting. Like yeah. it would be kind of fun to learn TV production. Right. Had you, had you done radio? Prior? I hadn't done radio, but it was something I wanted to do. And gotcha. I thought it would be a good opportunity to learn, you know, and be there to help launch a show. And I like wanted to be like an NPR person, yeah. you know? So I was like, oh, this is perfect, you know, public media organization. And uh, there are lo- I'll get to see it built from the ground up. And the TV part is intriguing, but not like my primary motivator. And then one thing led to another. I was offered a full time job as a production assistant. And I found that like, I didn't know it, but I'm like a production person. Like I loved the grind. I loved being on set. I liked the adrenaline. I liked the stress. (laughs) Like it just turned out to be exactly what I liked doing. And then, you know, over the years, I feel like I've been at ATK for a really long time, but I've had like 10 different jobs there. I mean, not like literally, I mean, I guess I've maybe had that many titles at this point, but, um, But it's just like every time I'd start to think like, okay, I'm getting a little like itchy or like what's next, another big opportunity would come along and and I'd I'd think, okay, well, I definitely have to stay for this, you know? Right. There's also just something about the culture there. I mean, I feel like you've seen this a bit, right? Like, I mean, you've come in and been on set with us and I I don't know, like seeing how the place runs and it's just like, it's a really cool and unique environment and a really amazing group of people and it's it's hard to want to leave once you're in the atk fold yeah (laughs) no totally i I completely get it i i wonder too like you know i I never saw the old place in brooklyn i've only been to the new facility in, in south boston and like you know as an outsider you mentioned before sort of the the transition and you know chris kimball kind of founded the brand and was the host for many years and then there was kind of a very public falling out in in 2015 and and he left but like i feel like as an outsider there was a lot of concern of sort of like okay like this guy's been the face of the brand for so many years and kind of the most identifiable guy on camera at that point and just sort of like what's the future of this brand going to be and i've been really impressed with just sort of the momentum that you guys have found since that time and just sort of the you know the wind in your sails i guess like it, it's it's really impressive just sort of the growth of it and you know, just sort of, you know, I want to talk about podcasting in a minute and, you know, you've gotten your feet into that, but like, it's just, 
it's phenomenal. Like, I, I just wonder sort of, you know, looking at the last five years, like, what do you what do you attribute sort of that that growth and evolution to? Oh, that's so nice. Thank you. That's really nice to hear. Um, yeah, every organization has its growing pains and its awkward periods and all of that. But, you know, I think the last five years are really a testament to how smart and committed and talented and, and just kind of great this group of people is, you know, I mean, the organization, all organizations are more than just their leadership, you know, I mean, good leadership is great and important and helps a organization be functional and set vision and all that good stuff. But, you know, we have an ensemble cast, we have kind of an ensemble team, you know, yeah. I mean, there's just so many great people and so many great ideas. I, I think that's why, you know, and then I think in the last few years, there's been you know, for a lot of media organizations, this kind of openness to to risk and to trying new things and to seeing, you know, how a, an old brand like ours can kind of grow. You know, we've done a lot of work. My colleagues on the video side have done a ton of work with our YouTube channel and our, our digital video presence and yeah. done some really, really like just cool stuff and translated these really old brands like Cooks Illustrated in a way that works for the format and the platform that they're, they're trying to create content for, you right. know? And I think we're just fortunate that we're in a time right now where our leadership is saying like, yeah, let's try this stuff, you know, yeah. and not all of it's going to work, but let's try it, you know, cause we want to grow and we want to grow not just this year or next year, but like, you know, we're like a privately owned company and our, our ownership, like our owners and our board of directors, it's not like a, you know, venture cap backed startup that like you have to grow right now or we're pulling out like they, they're invested in the long term. Yeah. You know, they've got their eye on like the five, 10 year plan. Right. But they still also want to see growth <laughs> in the short term, I'm sure. And they're you for know, sure. Yeah. For sure. But there's like a different willingness to like invest in experiment. You yeah. know, like we just launched this new brand, ATK Kids yep. in the last two years. And that was a huge launch and a big investment, you know, and it, a big big, big undertaking. But I think that's the kind of thing that like we're doing now is like, all right, well, who else do we need to talk to? Like yeah. we want to talk to young parents and we want to, you know, build a, a, a new generation of like young cooks that are going to have this early contact with our brand and then come to us when they want to learn how to cook or they want to learn how to bake or, you know, that sort of thing. So I think there's like a, there's like big thinking going on and like really just an openness to good ideas and to risk. Yeah. That's making it a fun place to work. No, that that's, that's awesome. And, and you know, I, I wonder, I feel like there can be a fine line and, and I've come up against this in my career of sort of having a legacy brand that when you try to grow it, there can be criticism that growth is, is missing the core of the brand. You know, for me, I always like to see growth as evolution. Like when people would criticize me for saying, you know, that that feels off brand. Like, why why do you want to take us in that direction? I'd say, well, why is it off brand? Like we can evolve. Yeah. We can move in that direction. It just it feels like you guys have a very progressive sense of sort of what your brand can be and that it's it's not static. It, like it, you're you allow it to be several things at one time. And th those those disparate parts can be contradictory but they're also complementary in some way. And, and you've figured out sort of how to how to make them all harmonize with each other, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Well, and I mean, and to be fair, like, you know, I, I think part of like evolution is like sometimes growing pains. Like we're not always going to get it right. Like sometimes yeah. maybe we will make something that goes a little too far afield and isn't quite on brand. And then we say, all right, we went too far afield. Let's not, let's pull it back. You know, yeah. that's not us, but I think even just an openness to go there or to try new things is totally essential, especially if you want to, you know, grow new audience, the big buzzword or like, you know, like, yeah. um, you know, all these kind of things require like a little bit of tolerance for discomfort and mistakes. Right. And um, I think as an organization, we have a culture that embraces that. And that's what's cool about it. The other thing, too, is that like it's almost like both the strength and the weakness, not to be too esoteric about it, but. <laughs> To have an old brand, you know, because yeah. it means like we all really know what the brand is, right? Right? Like we are very solid on our brand identity and we know what each of our brands is and we know what they say and we know how they talk to our, our customers and our, our fans. So that can be, like you said, like a place from which to be like, no, that's off brand or, right. you know, to shut, shut things down. 
but it's also like a really solid place from which to experiment. You know, yeah. we're not a brand new thing. Like we know exactly who we are and how we're different. And so it's a, experimenting from a place of solidness and strength, yeah. you know? When you ha you have that megaphone and all of, of the rest of the brand that like when you launch something new, you, you, you sort of immediately get buy-in from people that are already fans of the brand. Yeah, it's totally true. I mean, people tend to react really positively across the board when we launch a new thing. They're like, yay, a new thing, you know, yeah. and they're like, cool, this is different. And we tend to get really good feedback. Like, I think there's more tolerance for change, I think particularly on these like other newer, you know, platforms and channels, uh, you know, different social channels that we're on or YouTube is a great example. People yeah. want different stuff in different places. And right. I think they're they're fine with a brand expressing themselves in a different voice, you know, on a different platform. Yeah, no, totally. And and that sort of leads us into podcasting. And, you know, proof is obviously the uh, the biggest example there. But I feel like first we should talk about the walk in, which is sort of the new podcast you guys launched uh, with Elsa Simone Scott. Uh, it's only been a couple of weeks, I guess, right? It, it, yeah, it was a, yes, just back yeah. in August. Like, it's so interesting to me, you know, we've been talking sort of this whole time about, you know, your brand is talking to home cooks and people that cook at home. And here's this podcast that's people in the restaurant industry talking to each other about <laughs> sort of the struggles of of that industry like what what made you guys want to go into that space well and you'll see like the the as more walk-in episodes come out there's certainly people that are in the restaurant industry there's a bunch of people but there's we also have like writers and historians and business people so there's there's kind of a wide swath of folks like in different parts of the culinary field uh -huh. you know they're just fascinating conversations about food and food industry adjacent topics that yeah. i think are relatable whether or not you're in the food industry and that was sort of the goal was to i don't know just create a space to talk about food in this much more authentic, raw, unfiltered way, because I think we want to be a voice in that way, not just for home cooks, but like about food more generally. Yeah. And I think people that are home cooks and interested in that kind of content, there's a subset of them that are pretty interested in, you know, just food and chefs in general. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the walk-in is just, it's also a vehicle for Elle, frankly, you know, Elle is a really, really interesting cast member and, um, just kind of talent all around talented person at our company. And this is an idea she's had for a really long time is she wanted to like talk to people that fascinate her in yeah. and around food and, and have real conversations with them, you know, right. about the stuff that isn't polite to talk about or that yeah. people don't want to, people don't want to discuss. And so, you know, the walk-in is really a platform for Elle, you know, as much as it's anything else, it's, it's a showcase for her talents and it's a different side of her. I think just like, how proof was able to be that for Bridget, you know, you get to hear Bridget in this sort of different way than yeah. you get to know her on TV. Yeah. This is, it's a different, more intimate look at Elle. Yeah. No. And she's, she's phenomenal. Like I'm, I'm, I'm really happy just sort of the first couple episodes that I've heard, I think are great. And and I think there is something to it too, that like just hearing, hearing people that are passionate about something or that have a shared interest, talk about something like even with this podcast, like I've been surprised you know, the people that aren't in entertainment that listen to it. And I'm like, really? Like, it's just like, I'm talking to people in entertainment and media. Like, do you even understand the language we're talking? But like, they, <laughs> yeah. but they get stuff out of it. And, you know, I think it's the same, like, I never worked in, in the restaurant industry, but I find the, the conversations just really fascinating. And yeah, when it's, when it's people that, that share a common interest and can talk at, at a very deep level about something, like there, there's something interesting just sort of about hearing that vocabulary and, and the struggles of that. And yeah, it, it, it opens your eyes in a different way, which is fascinating. Oh, that's so great. I'm so glad that you've listened and that you like it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, yeah. it's, it's good. And then the other, you know, proof has been out for a couple of years now. Uh, you've just the fifth season just launched, right? Is that right? Yeah. Just, just launched yesterday. Wow. Yeah. So like that was, that was sort of your, your baby, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Proof was, Proof was, and in many ways still is, like my first child. <laughs> <laughs> what what yeah. made you want to go in that direction? Like you mentioned wanting to work in radio and stuff before, but like having that as, as the first podcast out of America's Test Kitchen. Yes, this was like me finding my way back to audio, which is how I came to ATK in the first place and yeah. still is like, I, I don't know. I mean, I love working in TV, but I think um, as a medium, I, like I just love audio. I always have. I've always love, you know, NPR and audio storytelling. And, you know, we weren't in the audio space and I felt like we should be. So I pitched 
proof. I pitched, you know, Bridget and I came up with this concept and pitched it to, you know, our management team. And and we said, here's what we'd like to do. And here's what we think it'll do for the business. And they were like, give it a try. And then, you know, it's been so great. Like it's been really successful and it's been building over time. And it's just a really cool addition to the ATK universe, you know, I mean, it just offers something different, but still through our lens, you know, I mean, it's about getting to the bottom of something. It's about uncovering all these crazy, you know, hidden facts and backstories and histories and, you know, it's for the same curious person that cares why gluten molecules do what they do in bread, you know, but just in an audio storytelling format. Honestly, like, I just wanted to make something that was kind of like the stuff I admire, you know, or the, you know, the podcasts and radio that I listen to and like, which is a lot of like, you know, nonfiction um, storytelling. Yeah, totally. It, it's a great show too. It's, there, there's so much, as you say, that you can just kind of take away from it and they're nice, you know, they're, they're pardon the pun, but digestible episodes. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> they're not, uh, they're not these two hour, you know, it's like, okay, a nice, you know, 30, 40 minutes. And I feel like I learned something at the end of it. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And I, I feel like that show, like, I don't know, it's really evolved over time. Our managing producer, Sarah Joyner, you know, she, she pretty much runs all of, you know, day-to-day proof now. And she just has a real talent for story structure and storytelling. And she's just a real, a a real talent at editing and at audio storytelling in particular. And she's reported her own pieces and does all the editing on freelance pieces that come in and she's really pushed it to the next level. So, I mean, it just, it makes a difference to have like the right people in the right seats making stuff better. (laughs) It just does, you know, was she interested in that? Prior to like, I just I I'm always fascinated by sort of figuring out how to put the right people in the right spot. Like, was that how how did you match Sarah to to proof? Yeah, it's interesting. So Sarah, um, you know, she went to UT Austin's film school. Like, uh-huh. she has a BA in like film and television. I think is like what her actual degree is. I don't know. I'm probably wrong about that. But anyways, yeah, <laughs> I know this because I she worked on a music video shoot with me outside of ATK once, and uh-huh. I was describing to her. I was like, oh, it's really fun. It's like this ragtag group of people that are just kind of doing a passion project. And I was like, it's sort of like what I imagine film school would have been like if any of us went to film school. And she was like, Oh, I did go to film school. (laughs) I was like, Oh, right. Of course. Yeah. (laughs) But anyway, so she, you know, her training is in TV media, but she worked for a couple years, I think at like a boutique audio editing. I, what, what is it? Like a studio? She worked at like a finishing studio for okay. audio. Yep. So she ha- she came with some really, you know, solid chops, you know, knows Pro Tools really well, like has some good technical skills and like understanding of audio. And that's all great and really important. But kind of more importantly is the stuff you kind of can't teach. I Well, I mean, you can teach anything, but some people just have like stronger instincts than others and she just has a great grasp of storytelling i don't don't know why she's just good (laughs) and she just has a talent (laughs) for it you know and she's gotten better over time you know i mean getting to really like wade into the the weeds with proof and really figure out each story and how it works and how it would be most effectively structured and you know she just has a really analytical mind and um I don't know, almost like approaches story structure like a scientist, right? So like I'll get like all excited about like a turn of phrase or a rabbit hole or something. And she can always pull back and be like, it's a three act structure, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And you need both, I guess. That's a, you guys complement each other well. That's awesome. Yeah, 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 yeah. So like thinking of the expanding ATK universe, you know, we talked about podcasts and YouTube, but like, what do you think sort of the next frontier or the next project looks like? Do you have a sense yet of, of where you want to take the brand or, or your piece of it? There's so many exciting things we could do. Um, I obviously want to launch more podcasts. Yep. So I want to keep growing our audio network and I'm excited about that. I think, you know, we're always talking about the possibility of launching another show. Um, so that, that could be cool. <laughs> There's no concrete plans, you know, as of now, we just like, you got to figure out Cook's country next yeah, week we first. Just, yeah. 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 Let's deal with one thing at a time. Yeah. So, so that's always something exciting. Um, I think the kids brand, which I've only been sort of peripherally, uh, well, that's not true. I mean, we also have a kid's podcast called yep. mystery recipe that we launched in February. That's been exciting to figure out children's media, which I'd never done before. There's a ton that can happen with the ATK Kids brand. I feel like that's just like ripe with opportunity for our company. Yeah, It's it's really exciting. Uh, we got into 
the subscription box business. So we have a oh, kid's cool. box. Yeah. I mean, I had nothing to do with it. So I'm like, we, as though I like <laughs> was dealing with all the complicated <laughs> supply chain logistics of a, yeah. you know, box delivery service. I was not by the way, but it excites me. You know, there's like so many people in our building that were like, yeah, we're going to do this box. Like it's called the young chef's club and you know, kids can like subscribe. You, you Maybe their grandparent buys them, uh, you know, a gift subscription and then they get this, cute box every month it's like themed like there's like a taco truck themed one and it comes with like all these little experiments and recipes and taco seasoning and like a you know a taco warmer and it's just cool like i think so it's not like um, a blue apron where you're getting like ingredients it's it's activities around cooking yeah it's a lot of like paper products and then like a few like maybe a tool or an ingredient or something but yeah it's a lot of like experiments and recipes and activities and you know that sort of thing but I, I just think like we're at an exciting time where like that sort of thing can happen at our company where we say hey wouldn't this be cool and then you know the subscription box business goes nuts and we sell out and have to like back order a bunch of them and we're like wow okay that yeah. idea had legs <laughs> cool <laughs> well and i guess that's the key right it's just the the freedom to try that stuff and to know that sometimes you're going to fall on your face <laughs> and other times you're going to have a success and just hope that you've done the homework so that, you know, the successes outnumber the failures, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. Um, thank you, Caitlin. This was awesome. Oh my gosh. It was so fun to talk to you. This yeah. It was a blast. It was so fun to just talk shop with you. All right. There we go. Caitlin Callaher, America's Test Kitchen. It'll be exciting to see sort of what that new season looks like and uh, what they end up deciding to do with Cook's Country as well. Two amazing shows. Go check your uh, public television listings to see where they are near you. And also go check out America's Test Kitchen's podcast, Proof, The Walk-In, lots of good stuff. And if you haven't heard it yet, go back and listen to my interview with Julia Collin-Davison. It's really interesting to hear what the perspective of America's Test Kitchen looked like back in May when this was all still really uncertain and no one knew where we were headed. So go look for that. Uh, It was a really fun conversation. And make sure you come back on Thursday. I'm talking to the founders of Ample Hills. They're a Brooklyn-based ice cream brand, and it's a pretty interesting arc. They founded an ice cream company about 10 years ago. It took off. It became the ice cream to the stars. Bob Iger, J.J. Abrams, Steven Spielberg, Oprah Winfrey, lots of celebrities were uh, going after this ice cream. It became huge. And then they filed for bankruptcy earlier this year and ended up having to sell the business and losing their stake in it. So they're unemployed and doing a podcast about sort of how it all went wrong. And uh, we talk about that. It's a fascinating conversation. I hope you come back on Thursday and uh, join me for that. Hit subscribe. Make sure you're one of the first ones to get new episodes of Quarantine Creatives right in your feed. And I am at Heath Rosella on Twitter and Instagram. Drop me a line. Let me know what's on your mind. I'll talk to you on Thursday. Have a great week, everyone. Stay safe.